Alright, I think we are good to go. Episode number four. Make sure we got power. We're good to go. Christian and Dennis back, booking confirmed. Um, Christian, we took a, a little bit of time to talk about next, but there's been some developments in our city um, really around a uh, potential threat. And so there's uh, some some particular part of our city, older neighborhood, older residents in that neighborhood who brought it up to the city council that there's too much noise complaints and or transient traffic in their uh, in their neighborhood. And so they brought it to the city council and uh, so it prompted this conversation about, you know, what, what are some threats that short-term re- rental operators have and how does it vary? And so we're just talking about that, and so we thought we'd light up a light up a session. Yeah. So what what are some what are some threats o- overall threats? Um, you know, one like as a as a current if you have a property, but people who are kind of speculating because um, part of this is a generational gap, generational divide of uh, short term rental operators giving up your home, um, and then kind of. If I'm a neighbor of a short-term rental operator, what what is my responsibility? Uh, and it's not just when it comes to hosting people in my own house, but how do I do? Uh, you know, how, how am I diplomatic, and how do I engage my neighbors so they don't cause trouble for me? I think it might be a whole other episode of PR work or public relations work. So it's not just the you know, are we forcing appreciation of our asset? Yes, we are. Are we creating a cool experience for guests? Yes, we are. Is our asset performing over time? Yes, it is. But you know, threats can be at the county level from a permitting. It could be on a personal level from your neighbors and everywhere in between. And so our, our city uh, uh, is thinking about doing a moratorium on short-term rental operators, or that was suggested, or at least the research around it was, was done. So talk about what, based off the type of rental properties, what kind of threats you've seen or heard of or encountered. Yeah, so the, you know, I think the number one threat to short-term rentals and, you know, to the entire industry, I mean, Airbnb would tell you this is the number one threat, is regulation. Yeah. Um, so regulation at a local level, potentially even a state level, um, uh, you know, or federal level yeah. for that matter, mm-hmm. more of the state and federal in terms of taxes. Yeah. But from a local level in terms of uh, permit. Mm-hmm. And what their local ordinance is going to look like. Um, so, you know, there, there's been short-term rentals, particularly in vacation markets. You know, beaches and lake houses and mountain houses uh, for decades. Yeah. Um, you know, my grandparents in their mountain house in Lake Tahoe have been renting it out for the last three, four decades to recurring guests in the summer and. That pays for the bills for the whole year. Yep. This is before Verbo even existed. Yeah. Um, which was one of the early adopters. So they had a stable of friends or friends of friends or referrals that just wanted the same place. Yeah. I don't know how they actually found them all. There was yeah. probably some other sites like that. And yep. then it was the same families that kind of came back every year. Yeah. And booked, you know, they did a Friday to Friday, mm-hmm. you know, booking. And we still do it to this day yep. at this cabin in Lake Tahoe. And it pays the bills for the year. We rent it out during the summer. Yeah. We all, the family members get to use it, you know, the three families at least once a, one week a month. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry, one week the, over the summer. But then the rest of the year, we can use it as much as we want. Um, so this has existed, but until, you know, this became mainstream, uh, you know, think Verbo, Airbnb, in the last, you know, uh, predominantly five to ten years, 
um, it hasn't, you know, gotten on the, the major attention level yep. of municipalities. So uh, there's been a number of, of locations who have already outlawed short-term rentals altogether. Um, and, and it's a, so this is a very, like, you know, shifting, adapting market. Um, you know, the biggest places where it's happening and these ordinances are the biggest threat are in the biggest cities. Yeah. You know, so places like a New York, a San Francisco, a DC, you know, Chicago, these kind of cities. Um, and the, the concern for these cities is you have, uh, you know, very dense, uh, housing population already. Yep. They've already built up, um, because it's so dense, people are living in, you know, very small, um, apartments typically. And so then when you add in a, um, uh, a business component to housing yeah. via short-term rentals. So now a, um, you know, an entrepreneur can come in and say, okay, I'm going to compete with people for houses, mm-hmm. apartments, you know, homes, whatever. And I'm going to buy, you know, or rent, mm-hmm. uh, eight apartments. Well, I've taken eight units out of the inventory yeah. for that city so thus, I've, I'm competing, yep. and I'm driving up the prices, yeah. um, and so I can operate, the, offer those to you know guests coming into the city, and I'm paying TOT taxes, so I am benefiting the city. Yeah. But I'm I'm either pricing out the lower end population of the community, or just making it that, that there's literally a, a density issue and a, and a housing problem, and so those people have to move further and further away from the city. Which can be very negative impact. So negative impact. So what what it sounds like is it's a density, but it's almost the compounding effect of the density. It's like a compounding of density, um, not necessarily gentrifies, but it it does it, a it, bit. It, it 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 puts more in disparity the supply the law of supply and demand, right? Of single family homes, uh, owner operators, what's available in the market, and areas can be saturated with Airbnb hosts. That are might be have existing that turn them on, right? Or that people, investors come in and buy them up. But both of those, it's creating a supply and dem- a demand shock on that local area. And so, as prospectors thinking through, I, I don't know if there's a direct correlation to how dense. You mentioned a couple big metros. Like, does it make sense financially? Well, probably your barrier of entry is going to be a lot higher the big, the bigger the density that you're going after. Because people want to be there for a reason, regardless of whether there's short-term rentals there or not, right? Yeah, and so you just you just you know if if you're buying as a short-term rental, um, you just want to be really aware of what the ordinances are currently, yeah, and what the discussions are coming down the pipe mm-hmm. um, from the local municipality. You know, what are they thinking? Um, every city's ordinance looks very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of places like, you know, like when we were living in DC, they were putting in new, they were putting in a new ordinance and what they allowed there, cause there's a lot of townhouses in DC. Yeah. And so the townhouses, um, are, um, you know, you, you have kind of like a top floor, you know, maybe one to two floors that people live in. And then you also have a semi above grade basement. Yep. So DC has been very expensive. And so a lot of people who buy homes in DC, they depend on renting out. Uh, doing short-term rentals in that semi-above-grade basement, yeah, um, in order to pay their rent, short or, or pay long, their mortgage. short or long, yeah, or just some yeah, rent, but, rental income. Yeah, and they can't. There's no regulation against long-term rentals, but yeah. this is for short-term rentals. Um, and so what they did in DC, they said, okay, we'll allow you if you live in the home, yeah, to rent out part of your home as much as you want. Got it. So what that's called is called in Reading the permits called a hosted homestay. So it's a different 
permit altogether than short-term rentals. And actually what Reading did in this city council meeting that took place last week was they separated the two. And, and I think they, they did a good move in doing that. A hosted homestay means the operator actually lives in the home okay. and they're renting out either a room or a, a detached unit or an attached unit. Mm-hmm. So they have so much more engagement. Control. They're on site. Quality control, for yeah, sure. You know, yeah. especially for neighbors. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there's not the same threats of, you know, parties or things like that, really yeah. loud noise happening. And if the, if it does, they're going to, you know, you know, squash it. Yep. Yeah. Because um, they're there. Yeah. Right? That's different than a short-term rental permit means the owner's not on site. Yeah. And so there is more risk with that. And so what Reading actually did is they put a more they, they voted yes four out of five for a moratorium. Um, but how moratorium sounds really bad. It sounds like it's a temporary fix. It's a temporary fix. Okay, it's a temporary pause, I should say. I, you know, it's not a fix at all. Um, it's a forty-five day pause, meaning once the moratorium goes into effect, which it's not in effect as of today. Okay. Um, so if you want a permit, go get one right now. Go get one. Um, yep. I don't think it can go into effect, I believe, for 30 days until, like, you know, they have to give the public time to know about it. And go get one now because the thought is that there's a high likelihood that you'd be grandfathered in. That's what they were mentioning. A- if it's yeah. active, right? Yeah. Okay. Once it's active, if you already have a permit that's been processed, um, you will be grandfathered in, at least currently. Yeah. I don't think they're going to, you know, eliminate short-term rentals altogether. No. I think what they're looking to do is likely just to put more of a cap Mm -hmm. on the total number, maybe adjust the ordinance slightly to create some more possibility for bad actors to get their permits pulled. So that's a tough call for each city, depending on the socioeconomics of each city. Some, Some cities need tourism to be decentralized and they want more people from the outside, outside money coming in. So the tension is like, yeah, let's let's let people make a little money off of it. At the same time, as long as it's not causing the rest of the people living here uh, to be pissed off and come yell at us, right? And so any 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 ordinance that's that is coming from the government, it really is a complaint based department. There's no there's nothing there's no technology yeah. out there that's monitoring who's doing what and who has what permits. Like that's why relationship with your neighbors. Which by the way, disclaimer: be permitted, get be legit. Don't don't be don't go underground like you know, be above board, do what you need to do. But there hits a point of saturation for each city where the city council is going to be forced to make a decision on this. So you have, you have, uh, you have rentals and listings in two different cities. And so you've dealt with different ordinances and you've checked out a lot of others. What types of regulation have you seen been, been enforced? Yeah. So in Mount Shasta, is is more of a vacation rental town. Yep. It's a much smaller city. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, vacation rental markets are are, are, are more interest are interesting in the way they often have like geographic limitations. Yeah. Um, so Mount Shasta's in in between mountains. Yeah. And so there's literally geographic limitations as to where you can build. Mm-hmm. You know, it's surrounded by you know state and national forests. Yeah. Which you also can't build in. Is there you know public land? Which is rad. Um, so there's a limitation on, so there's, there's just not a ton of inventory in the area altogether. Um, and so they've, you know, not actually put, they had, they were doing, they, they, they actually put a moratorium in effect a couple years ago. Um, when we first got, um, the first house we did up in Mount Shasta, they actually put the moratorium in like a couple days after we purchased the home. Wow. Which was just like such a killer to us, and you already knew that it was already no. Oh, you didn't. No. Oh, so it was. It, it was a shock, and Damn. and we were like just talking, like, hey, what do we do? Do we 
you know, just sell the home? Yeah. Do we fix it up and sell it? Do we just use it as a vacation home for us? Yeah. Um, so we ended up, um, um, you know, just kind of finishing the home. And so the moratorium was for 45 days. But what the, the, what the city didn't do, they didn't renew it. So they didn't renew it after 45 days. But I don't know whether it was just a, a snafu or or if they just decided not to. And so the, as soon as it ended, yeah. we went and got a permit yeah. the next day. And yeah. then they ended up renewing the moratorium afterwards. But we already had our permit. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I say if you hear something going on and you're interested, mm-hmm. you can still get one. And there's different types of permit. You're just saying that a friend of ours reached out to you and said, hey, I heard this happen at the city council meeting. You know, what should I do? And you told him to get a specific sort of permit, right? Well, no, I told him if you want to do short-term rentals, mm-hmm. you know, get the short-term rental permit. And yeah. renting it costs a little over $1,000, which you can make that back with the house he has in mm-hmm. a few nights. Yep. Um, um, and so I told him to get it because according to the way I understand it is, yes, they voted for the moratorium. But it takes, I think, at least 30 days yeah. for that more, maybe two weeks to 30 days for that moratorium to go into effect. Mm-hmm. So he went and got his permit in the in the queue. Um, so I think they will be forced to process his permit. Nice. Um, um, unless they have some other reason for not giving it to him, um, which I don't see why they would. But okay. um, so he should be able to get it. I think everybody's going to be grandfathered in who has a permit. Um, but the really interesting thing about it is, like you said, like the 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 issue, the biggest threat in Reading is it's not a density issue. Yeah, it's not people getting priced out issue. There's plenty of places to live in Reading. It's more of a neighborhood um, um, compliance. No, not neighborhood compliance. More like um, neighborhood vibe yeah, or yeah. cohesion issue yeah yeah you know some people who have lived in certain neighborhoods for a really long time you know like the feel of the neighborhood and really value kind of the security of your neighbors you kind of all looking out for each other Uh um you you know and um uh, when you have a short-term rental by definition there is new people coming in yeah every day or or a few days yeah it's less um, stable. The perception is that it's less stable and less secure. Your neighborhood is less secure. That's the perception. Yeah. Or these are people you don't know. Yeah. That you don't have control over. I mean, so in my, on my street, um, you know, a 30-something bought a house four, four doors away. Nicest house in the neighborhood. Her next door neighbor is an uh, avid dog walker, very involved in the neighborhood, literally told on her because she was renting it out. She was renting it out. She had a permit. Yeah, but you know, she the city came in and like pulled it. I don't know if they Wait, pulled why? it. Why? How? What was the? It was a new uh, uh, from uh, I think it was a noise complaint or an, um, I don't know what the exact was, but yeah. But she, she actually got it pulled. I don't know if she got it pulled, but she called the city and the city came out and met with her. Yeah, specifically. Does, I, does she still rent it out though? I haven't seen people. Uh, I haven't seen any new renters there, any new cars in the last couple of weeks since it happened. So I don't know if she's just she's just lowering her bar or um, or, or number of nights. I don't know what the city did, but I'm gonna talk to her and say, hey, what what sort of did they ask you to comply with any specific things? And I'll I'll let I'll let I'll let us know. I'll, I'll report back for us. But yeah, no, and that's and that's really interesting because one of the complaints, like at this city council meeting, both people in in for short term rentals and against short term rentals spoke yeah. during the public comment period. Um, and most of the people that spoke for it were um, operators. Yep. They were all operators, and most of them were all property managers. Mm-hmm. So, so independent private property managers who manage, you know, multiple short-term rentals. So, more than anybody, this is their livelihood. Yeah, 
of, of having actual available units to manage. Yeah, for sure. Um, and if they want to grow their business, there needs to be more. Yeah. Uh, versus the people who were against were neighbors who had short-term rentals, you know, directly adjacent to them mm-hmm. and were having bad experiences with yeah. them. Um, and so, so it was really interesting to hear, you know, both of those sides. And one of the complaints of the neighbors was that they felt like there was little ability to uh, get people's permits pulled. Hmm. Um, who were bad actors? Yeah. Which, which I am definitely in favor of. Of that is is Sift the sifting process. Yeah, we want people who have short term rental permits to be very engaged. Yep. To be highly in control of the process. Um, to be highly, um, you know, um, engaged in screening, making sure their guests are not having parties, not having yep. events. You know, obeying the uh, you know city quiet hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, addressing parking, parking off the street. You know, trash, all that kind of stuff. Um, we want these homes to be looking better yeah. than, you know, even the other homes yep. um, in the neighborhood. You know, those are the kind of people that we want operating. If, and if there's people operating who aren't doing that, I think there should be more of a process. A minimum, out. A minimum bar of excellence, right? A min- yeah, a minimum, where there's, minimum. you know, a certain number of complaints, um, you know, where people can get their permits pulled. You know, for an example, for me, I've, I've, I've never been called by the city, but I have been called by Airbnb, Yeah, uh, one of the channels I list on, um, because I've had at one of my house, uh, a neighbor call them and they, you know, we had, it was all permitted and legal, um, but they said that the fire pit was unattended. And so we immediately called the guests, you know, yeah. and told them to put it out and not use it again. And uh, I wish the neighbor would have called me, yeah, but didn't call yeah. Airbnb. This happened on a second occasion, so we ended up deciding, you know what? Let's just pull the fire pit. Limit liability, man. So we just, you yeah. know, Reading is an area where this is a risk. We don't allow fires in the summer, but this was in the winter. Yeah. Um, but still, nonetheless, you know, fires are a huge concern up here. So we decided we had two. We only had two fire pits at all of our properties. A total of two out of fifteen. Uh, but we decided let's demo mm-hmm. those fire pits and get them out of there. Yep. And it's just not worth it. And so based on that feedback we got from that neighbor, who I still don't even know who it was. Yeah. I wish they would have talked to me. Yeah. Um, and Airbnb wouldn't give me their name um, to talk to them. Uh, but we decided let's just get rid of it um, because this neighbor was concerned about it. And so yeah. like that kind of stuff is good. Now, if I had a neighbor just complaining all the time for nothing, that would really upset me as a host mm-hmm. if they're trying to get my permit pulled. So there needs to be a process of like, um, you know, reciprocity and also the ability to to clearly kind of ascertain like what are the standards, are you meeting them, you well, know, etc. Well, and the fire pit example is more of an internal threat. Like that's something that is in your control and you can change, right? As opposed to city stuff is maybe not as much in in your control. Like you, you basically, you lowered your liability by taking the fire pits out on the whole. You also limited your, your, um, you limited the potential of someone having some, something to call Airbnb for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it was for both reasons. One, it was a liability issue. Mm -hmm. Um, because I did talk to, you know, the fire chief and the fire chief did tell me, I, you know, I called him after Yep. and, and. And shout out to Bo. No, I was joking. No, we don't know Bo. <laughs> I made that up. I made that up. <laughs> and he told me, he's like, hey, if it's on your property, like yeah. you're liable. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm like, all right, I'm yeah, getting rid of this yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that was, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back yeah. for me. Like if I'm liable, I can't trust these guests yeah. you know, to do that. 
Well, you have to idiot-proof it as well for your guests, right? So. Yeah. I mean, I, we we have a couple fireplaces, which some of those we've closed down. We still have a couple operating up in Mount Shasta. But whenever I have a guest call and ask me, how do I start a fire? I'm like, you're not allowed. You don't. You, that, that, you're that, that, not allowed that, to have a fire. Step one is that you don't. That, that's <laughs> how you start a fire. All right? In yeah. Properties. Well, it's it's interesting. And uh, side business idea, I don't know if this exists, but a rate, some sort of a rating system or alert system for Airbnb and short, short-term renter apps to review your neighbors. I don't know if it exists, but it sounds like it's a business <laughs> model. All right? It sounds like a business model. Well, there's, I mean, there's threats like I, I know somebody in Reading who bought a home um, and was had plans to short-term rent it. Mm-hmm. And then there was a neighbor in his home who's a lawyer who just decided, you know, he does not want any of these in his neighborhood. And he just made it such a pain for the yeah. guy yeah. Um, that he ended up not doing it. Yeah. And so there is a way, uh, you know, I'm not trying to give people ideas here, but like if, if like if it's a real thing, like and you don't know what neighbors are there. I mean, you definitely want to like think about that. Not that you need to have a conversation with every neighbor, but yeah. that's a threat. Like if you buy a home with the intent of short term renting it, even if you get, can get the permit, like your neighbors can make this a very tough experience. On well, plausible deniability says you know, ask for forgiveness, not permission when it comes to neighbors. On the other hand, too, you could probably save yourself a lot of headache if you do some light PR work up front. Now, I don't want to be ageist, but, you know, most new technology and early adopters are, are you know, younger versus older. And, mm-hmm. mo- and most people who are older are buying older homes in more established areas for a reason. And so as a buyer, you know, taking consideration, yeah, the region and, and, and the demand, but it's also like, you know, before you buy, probably go meet some of those neighbors, figure out what they do, how long they've lived there, kind of what their quality of life is and uh, and like what the neighborhood is about. Because, yes, there's an overall density and saturation problem, which you were talking about earlier. If there's too many short-term rentals, all the people have to – the long-term residents have to leave. And so other things suffer, like the service industries of those cities. And so potentially saturation via Airbnb short-term rentals – can be a net negative on the overall vibe of the, the town, city, or region that you're in. That being said, the, the majority of the residents that live in most areas are long-term residents. And they, they are expecting a certain lifestyle based off history, tradition, and where they're at in their life. And so there's a, there's a certain amount of mutual respect as a short-term rental operator too. Like Same thing in like long-term rentals. We have, we have friends that have apartment complexes. And you can you can be a slumlord and and get you know and charge three hundred dollars a month and get anyone in there anytime or do Section A housing like you could go that route to make money. We don't recommend it because the overall experience and quality and level of excellence of our city we want like we are we are management we're managing the identity building of our own city and we're taking an active part in that. Not to say that if you're going to buy you know remotely or buy a short term rental in your area you have to be this involved. But if you don't be in, get involved in your local government or your local city council, it it could affect you negatively as opposed to being proactive and in getting involved or at least having an ear to the ground. Personally, we're trying to get our friends in city council, right? Like we, we, we have an agenda because overall we have business ideas, this being one of them, where we, we don't want it, we don't want a guy who knows a guy. We are we want the guy. We want we want our guy to tell us, hey, this is what's this is this is what we're talking about, right? And so being an, an act an, an active 
participate in your local government purely from a business perspective makes sense to me. It sounds like a wise move, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, you know, for myself, like having them put a moratorium in actually benefits me. How? How does it benefit you? Because there's no more competition coming in. Like at this point, like short-term rental and part of the reason why I think they put the moratorium in is like new inventory coming on the market is at a historic rise over yeah. the last like six, six to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, you know, during COVID, you know, housing prices got, got, um, uh, got crazy. Got, well, they got crazy, but they, they were on a, a, a real steady ramp. Mm-hmm. So you could buy lower, um, mortgage interest rates were historically low, Yep. you know, in the two to 3%. Mm-hmm. So, People were able to buy, um, you know, even even as pricing was going up, they could buy more home. Yeah. Because of their mortgage pay was lower, mortgage interest rates were so low, you know, your monthly payments would be lower. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, people started to see, you know, there was a demand for short-term rentals. There, the demand was growing year over year, even yeah. before COVID. But once COVID started, people wanted space. Mm-hmm. And so short-term rentals blew up during COVID because people didn't want to rub shoulders yeah. with other people. Yeah in hotel lobbies, uh-huh. didn't want to, you know, have contact check-in with, you know, hotel hosts. Yep. Um, they didn't want to walk by people in hallways. They wanted a single family standalone home yep. with self check-in, mm-hmm. contactless check-in, um, where if they didn't want to be near anybody, and that was a concern of theirs, um, they could do that. Yeah. And so short-term rentals became a boom and they were also going to locations where there was more outdoor activities, you know, like where we are here yep. in Redding and Mount Shasta, mm-hmm. because you could get out on the trails and not see anybody. Yeah. Um, so they were coming here in droves. And so, you know, the word got out yep. and, you know, how lucrative this market was becoming. And so more and more home, either people were buying homes to yep. be short-term rentals or converting their long-term rentals into short-term rentals. Yeah. So permits increased. And so it's not surprising that there's a need to come up with, uh, you know, new regulation to address it. It's interesting that, you know, that short-term rental operation uh, boom during COVID out of necessity, out out of health concern and an abundance of caution from a health concern. But what it also did in parallel, I know we're talking about threats, but I'm, I'm tangenting a little bit is that it exposed people to areas and regions that they would never probably have thought about before. Oh, absolutely. And so now, even though COVID's still around theoretically and very real and, you know, I've had it multiple times, it's all great stuff. It's real. Mm-hmm. But what it did is it exposed them to regions to where it was a medical a perception of a medical necessity or precaution. But now, now it's actually saying, Hey, I want to, I'm a big mount, avid mountain biker. When I was up in Reading, when I was up in Mount Shasta, I, I, they told me they had 300 manicured trails and they're building out so many more. Like it exposed them to now what was the next level up of what entertainment is going to be for them mm-hmm. and experiences outside of it. And so it's pretty rad because I think it has a compounding effect in a positive way. Um, and yeah, that, that's definitely a, another kind of, um, vote for knowing not just what your city, it, uh, city priorities initiatives are, but also your county and also your region. And so this whole mountain bike thing, think, uh, thing is extending into Trinity County, into Siskiyou County, into Lassen. We've had friends from, or not, yeah, friends from Long Beach, you know, they came up because they couldn't find an Airbnb south of Sacramento during COVID because a lot mm-hmm. of the cities just shut them down and wouldn't do it. Yeah. They came up and stayed in Cottonwood, got exposed to Mount Lassen, 
sold their house in Long Beach and bought like a cul-de-sac in uh, like the base of Mount Lassen. Oh yeah, I met those guys. And got and got like two or three other their friends to move up here because they all work remotely anyway now, right? Yeah. So like lifestyle options opened up. It's just cool that what was definitely a a tragedy and a crisis also had the added benefit of, of exposing people to something that they would have never thought about exposing themselves to before. Yeah. And I think this is the really interesting part and I'll tie this back to short-term rentals here in a second. But um, what COVID did is it, is it kind of was a catalyst for small and mid-sized towns in America, rural towns. Sure. Yep. Um, You know, people still, I mean, even people from big cities, they still want some level of infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, you know, even if, you know, but, but they're also like, Hey, if I live in this huge city, metropolitan area, I'm dealing with traffic, mm-hmm. I'm dealing with smog. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, whatever, it's more expensive, yeah. you know, to housing, I'm, my money's not going as far. Um, you know, I might not like the school my kids are in, etc. Yeah. And so now that they got exposed to mm-hmm. the idea of working from home, um, which kind of opens up the possibility so they yep. can still keep their corporate jobs, mm-hmm. high paying jobs that yep. are in the big cities. That's why people move to cities yeah. is for jobs. Mm-hmm. So, but if they can keep those jobs, which, you know, TBD, yeah. you know, I know there's a lot of companies pulling people we'll back in, we'll see, but uh, you know, a chunk of those at least are going to yeah. stay remote. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can, you know, can live cheaper, get more house, get more space, be closer to their favorite hobbies. Yep. And, they've now seen these other towns and like, there's enough infrastructure here for me. There's enough cool restaurants. There's enough cool. And the more people that are coming there with money, they can support more of those, you know, restaurants and coffee shops and bars. If that's what people are looking for. And on that note, as a, as kind of a micro investor, the the average, the average person that is looking to get into this business and probably starting to look for a fixer upper they can move into and get into the game. Like, COVID and the kind of the diaspora of thought and experience that happened, they put these small towns, not necessarily on the map, but it was definitely a billboard. And people saw like, oh, wow, like if I had 100K or inheritance or I had a nest egg and I had to buy, maybe not in the town I live in, but maybe within an hour of where I live, that makes a lot more sense to me now because I had a great experience when I was there, right? Mm -hmm. And so it kind of of created an awareness to people about investing that it didn't have to be in their town or metro or what they knew, which I think overall is great for those those small towns, right? For the socioeconomic uh, of those small towns. And the more we invest in them, we add to those economies and the cooler that they get. I mean, our, our current town we're in now, we thought the infrastructure and the culture that we're getting now and that's continuing to build, you and I thought would happen 10 years ago because we all the ingredients were here. All the ingredients, we saw it all. We're like, why... Why isn't it happening? And a lot of it's often because of tradition, history, and who's managing the city. It's a big one. Yeah. Right? That's really and our and our people and us, our representatives weren't didn't think the same, didn't have the same value system priorities that we did. And that's that has shifted dramatically, right? And so um, great for small towns, great for Airbnb, but also great for the micro investor as far as lowering your barrier of entry. Where do you start this journey? And we're making it performing assets at a low enough entry point that makes it worth it to me, especially on my first one. Yeah. So I want to say one more thing and then tie it back to short-term rentals. Yeah. yeah. So I think there is a, you know, we all know there's a, um, a migration happening, um, reorganization of a population yep. in the United States right now. If you're in housing and jobs, you, you know that, right? So there's a, a huge pop group. A lot of people from the North and Northeast particularly are moving South. Yep. 
So they're moving towards the southern states mm -hmm. that are cheaper and warmer. Mm -hmm. um, so your states like Florida, you know, Louisiana, Texas, Georgia, Alabama, Arizona. Tennessee, yep. you know, there's a ton of people moving that way. Mm -hmm. There's also a migration of, of now, right now, people moving out of uh, California and, you know, towards uh, places like in Arizona or Texas or Tennessee. Nevada, um, you know, a lot of people move to Idaho Utah. from California. Yep. Um, um, but then even like within states, there's people moving from the, the, the southern um, and, you know, kind of central parts of California, which I consider San Francisco more central. I know it's considered northern up to the northern part of California yeah. where we live. Yeah. Um, there's even like in-state migrations happening. As a whole, I would say, yeah, there's there's always going to be people moving to urban areas. But I think there's kind of like a a rebirth of like ruralization mm -hmm. in America. Yeah. And people who want more space, want more of the outdoors, you know, um, you know, part of this is brought on through COVID, yeah. but also just lifestyle choices. I think there's a lot of things that took place during COVID. People had a lot of time to consider, you know, their lives, their choices, the mm -hmm. direction, you know, you know, want more freedom. There's a lot of people who exited the workforce young yeah. Yeah. during COVID and are like, I'm not going back. Yeah, it's true. And if they can figure out a way to make it work mm -hmm. economically, they're not going to. Yeah. Um, which speaks to the, you know, the reason unemployment still, um, you know, got, got is so low because yeah. just a lot of people exited the workforce. Um, and so these things are happening in, in the country. And so to tie it back to short-term rentals, I just want to say that, you know, for those cities out there, there's a real opportunity here, mm -hmm. you know, to bring people in, yeah. you know, Reading, Mount Shasta, you know, you know, places like Lake Tahoe, like Bernie, McLeod, Cottonwood, Anderson, Red Bluff. There's tons of these French they, cities. Right? They benefited, you know, we benefited here a ton yeah. from short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. You know, the city of Reading makes a lot of money per month off of TOT, transient yep. occupancy tax, yep. basically a hotel tax, mm -hmm. which every operator pays or hotel uh, management pays for guests coming in, but certain guests do not want to stay in hotels. Yeah. You know, if you have a family or if you want to be able to cook in your own kitchen, which a lot of people want to be able to do, hotels do not have kitchens. Yep. Single family homes or apartments have kitchens. Mm -hmm. Guest houses have kitchens. Um, and so if you go, you know, to the extreme of eliminating all of these, you're, you're, you're making yourself less friendly mm -hmm. towards travel yep. and tourists. Yep. And if we're trying to to encourage that yeah. in our city, which I think we should be, because yeah. it's an economic driver of our area, it doesn't have a huge industry, mm -hmm. but it's beautiful. Yeah, what it has, like its its greatest assets, are its its beauty, its natural rivers, lakes, mountains, trails. That's what we have. Yeah, and people will come here in droves if you have somewhere to house them. That's right. Um, and so that's where it's 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 a it's, it's fine to regulate. It's mm -hmm. fine to create ordinances, but you don't want to discourage people yeah. from coming. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, this, this episode, you know, it, we is titled and we start off the conversation with this idea of threats to short-term rental operators. I put volume one in there because I'm sure there's going to be ongoing threats that come up. Um, but they're also like, don't, don't believe the news that comes out, you know, go research it for yourself. I wasn't able to be at the city council meeting. Um, but you know, you, you and I, and people start asking me just because of this podcast, they're like, what, what went on? And I'm like, well, let me talk to Christian. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what went on, but this idea of, of, uh, you know, don't just, you know, believe the rumors, go find out for yourself, go ask those questions. Um, stay, stay informed because it's your business or it's your potential business. 
Um, any other, any other idea of, of threats? I know that we talked about in Mount Shasta, they did put a moratorium on the and and going forward, there's they they're only their their decision up there was they're only going to be allowing a specific number of licenses. So if you don't have a house that already has a license attached to it, it kind of reminds me of of liquor licenses for bars or mm-hmm. liquor licenses for restaurants in the town. There's only so many tokens. If you have if you can get a token, get it. If you can buy a, a, a restaurant with a token, that's good for you. Um, so some some uh, cities. They take that approach. Uh, you, have you yeah. seen any other types of approaches that, or you know, you and I have talked about this idea of of it being with the property versus the owner? Yeah, and, and I th- I like that idea actually. Uh, ben does that, Ben, Oregon, um, which became a very popular destination, and I think is a very uh, good comp for Reading. Yeah. of like what we're trying to build here. Yeah, a lot of similar uh, natural features. Mm-hmm. That ben, that ben has, and it's not too far away from here. It's yeah. you know, four or five hours from yep. here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they actually did, they put a limit on the total number of permits, um, and the people who already had them were grandfathered in. But then that permit is now connected to the home instead of to the you know operator. operator. Yeah. Um, and so if you sell your home, it the permit travels with it. If the new owner doesn't want to keep it or pay for it, they can let it go. Yeah. And it would go back into the pool and the next person at the top of the list would get one. But I really like that idea because it rewards those who are early adopters. Yep. You know, these were entrepreneurs that, you know, bought, designed, built these homes, put a lot of money into them yeah. um, to get them to the kind of standards needed to be a quality short-term rental. And so you're rewarding those people yep. by saying, Hey, you did this first. You brought this economic activity to our city. We're going to regulate it. But here's at least, you know, a kickback to you. Yeah. Like this essentially makes your property more valuable Yeah. Uh, by doing that. Um, so I think that's a really uh, a good kind of a happy medium mm-hmm. um, as a way to, um, you know, put a cap, yeah. whatever you decide that cap is. Mount Shasta has, you know, they haven't actually put this into effect yet because okay. they had a whole plan and the whole plan got blown up and everybody got fired in oh, the city. Yeah. And so I don't even know what's happening right now, but they were talking of a, you know, two to 3% total inventory cap. They were going to limit it to certain types of zoning, uh, more commercial zoning permits as opposed to residential permits. Okay. Um, so there's a bunch of things they were planning to do that still hasn't gotten sorted out. It, w- it would be cool. I mean, it, it'd be cool if, if the operator did get to keep it or if the new owner got the opportunity to, to have a choice to sell it off. Oh, off sell line. it independently? Sell it independently. Like, like a liquor license. Like, yeah, like detach it from the property itself. Um, so if there's any, if anyone wants to talk more about that, I think it's an interesting conversation. Um, you, you mentioned earlier about, uh, well, well, I think there's a scenario too. So I, I, you know, people are looking at properties and if they already have a, a either a guest house or a mother-in-law suite or an ADU, uh, a permitted ADU on the property, the expectation I think of of first time you know rental operators or investors going into it is that I can they see they see a, another unit they they may or may not know that it's an ADU and what all that means but if it is designated as an ADU you can't do technically right now as it stands in most regions legally rental is that correct yeah so what an ADU was was California it's a California code yep that every municipality has to adhere to because it's part of the California um, housing law yep. And so what an ADU, an accessory dwelling unit, is by definition in the code, 
is it's designed to um, help address the long-term housing crisis we have in California yeah. as a whole. Only if you get in the, so an ADU is just like, it's an easier way to get something done with your yeah. city. So right. your total permits to build like an ADU are like $800, yeah. which is nothing compared to your permits for building like a home mm-hmm. or a guest house for that matter. Um, but part of the caveat to it, and, and you can have a, you know, a full bedroom, a full bath, a full kitchen, which yeah. you can't have in a guest house, yeah. um, um, in it, but you can't short-term rent it. Yeah. And so 30 nights or more is what constitutes as long-term rentals. So yeah. you can still do what I call medium term rentals, yeah. which I do in the ADUs that I have here in Reading. I have two ADUs and I do, uh, traveling professionals yep. in those homes. So these are. Uh, usually nurses, sometimes they're uh, fire workers, sometimes they're forest service workers. PG&E yeah. has a lot of uh, um, workers coming through for um, contracts. Um, and sometimes they're, you know, people nomadic yeah. who are kind of living on Airbnb and going from place to place and want a longer term rental. So as as buyers or speculators going in, I mean, start asking the question, is this specifically an ADU or is this a mother-in-law suite? Is, is this a guest house or is this an ADU? Because those are different things. Those so, are different so, things, right? Yeah, guest houses, essentially. So I have a home that we bought, mm-hmm. that we live in, yep. and it has a guest house. And so because it's a guest house, and this was before ADUs existed, that this guest house was created, it's considered living square footage. Yep. So when they added this 1,000-square-foot guest house to the home, it actually bumped up the total living space of the home another 1,000 square feet. Yep. So on the MLS it would have bumped it up another thousand square feet. If you build an ADU, it does not bump up the total square footage of your home by the total size of that ADU. Your house is still the same square footage with an ADU. ADU. That's the caveat here. And so it will be appraised and assessed differently. So different, different conversation, but an important one. Yeah. Praise and assess, but it is a threat uh, because just like your house in Mount Shasta, you thought you, you bought that house going into your first one, that it would be an AD, it would be a short term rental. And then you found out that they hit a moratorium and that was a curveball for you, right? Yeah. And so there, you didn't know that there was a threat buying in Mount Shasta because you didn't know what was going to happen with the city. But going into it, you also, you, you knew that it was a single family home. You knew that it had a, a, a basement or daylight basement. You knew it had potential, but going into it, there was an external threat that you were unaware of as a buyer, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so I'm able to rent out the guest house as a short-term rental of the home I live in. So we live in the main house mm-hmm. and we rent out the guest house and we short-term rent it mm-hmm. because it's not an ADU. So that's really important. And But the, the permit that I have there is actually different. So this is where it also is another another difference. So I actually have what's called a hosted homestay permit, which I think we just talked about earlier, yep. is, is I live in the home and rent out part of the unit. So this hosted homestay permit is not as expensive. Um, I think it's almost free. Um, as a short-term rental permit, which is a little over a thousand dollars, and part of that is because they know you're in the home. Well, and, and that's a question that you should go to your city and ask what types of permits are available for mm-hmm. just for for rentals. If I was to rent out my home, yeah, and seeing what's available and what whether you're living in it or not, that'll will dictate it. But also too, ha- you know, if you are going to plan on living it, say you bought a house, a fixer upper, you're going to move into it anyway to fix it up for two years. Permit that you you, you need even if you're going to move out of it in two years, right? Absolutely. I think it's definitely smart to do it right now. And, and, 
And so that this conversation about hosted homestays versus short-term rental permits was discussed yeah. kind of at length during the city council meeting. I think it was for good reason. A couple of the city council women and then another commentator brought this up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they ended up, when they were putting the moratorium, they voted to not include hosted homestays in the moratorium. Yeah. So if you want a hosted homestay permit, that there is no moratorium on that. Yeah. In Reading, you can keep doing that because, you know, you know, as was rightly said, there are many people who bought a home yeah. with a guest unit thinking, hey, if I rent this out, this is going to be able help me pay my mortgage. Yep. And you don't want to um, punish or punish those penalty. people or make it so now they can't pay it. And then they're yeah. dealing with foreclosure, or having yeah. to sell their home. For sure. You know, um, you know. And so in the same way that they're going to grandfather in everybody who already has mm-hmm. a short term rental permit, you don't want to punish those people. And then. Yep. Then now you've you know you've you've hurt all those people who who brought this yeah you know tourism boom to our community by yeah. pulling their permits yeah so honestly like I said for me like I'm actually in favor of of allowing a free market yeah but you know just to put my cards on the table I'm benefited yep you know by the moratorium because I'm not in the market right now to buy any more and yeah. at the moment yeah I didn't have any in the pipeline that's gonna hurt me um so if they put a cap on it. Doesn't matter. That actually helps me. Yeah. You know, but what I'd rather see here, here's, and here's my recommendation is, um, I don't know the exact total number of permits that are out there. I'm guessing there's a couple hundred, mm-hmm. um, you know, the city council, the city should know that. Um, but I can guarantee you there is over a hundred, probably double the amount of permits there are operating illegally. Okay. And so this is an enforcement question. Uh, so it's a win enforcement question. Yeah. And so it's fine. If yeah. you guys want to put a moratorium on this and, and get some new ordinance in there and clean it up. Great. That's yeah. not going to solve the problem. Yeah. Cause the bad actors out there that these neighbors are complaining about, they're the ones that don't have permits. Yeah. And they don't care what the city thinks. Cause they don't have a permit to lose. Yeah. Cause they're doing it illegally and you're not enforcing on them hard enough. Yeah. And so that's just the reality of it until enforcement gets, um, um, uh, you know, sufficient yeah. enough to actually detract these bad actors yeah. from operating illegally. Who they're they're not paying their permit, and I guarantee you, they're not paying TOT taxes. Yeah, you know the thousands of dollars you would need to pay a month for operating these units. They're not paying those, and so those are the real nuisances. Yeah, two short term rentals. So these are the ones that are bugging the neighbors. It's also uh, a negative effect on us operators who are actually operating above board. Yeah. Because we're getting hurt by people who aren't paying those taxes. Yeah. Um, aren't paying the actual fees and are giving short-term rentals a bad name. So that's that's interesting. So we're talking about threats. Uh, you know, there's there's city and county threats. There's neighbor threats. There's rent. There's renter threats. People thrashing your your stuff or doing stuff they're yeah. not supposed to. Um, but this this one is uh, interesting because rogue operator threats. Well, yeah. Well, well. I mean, I think I think personally, it's I I, I kind of put it in the category of you know every stereotype has some truth to it, right? I mean, it's a, stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason because somewhere along the way there was there was an incident that happened that created a perception of something, right? In reality, I think you know just like most people, I think most people are just doing the best. They're, they can do with what they've been given. I, I believe I believe that I want to be, believe the best about people, and there's exceptions to that rule. I think most short-term rental 
Raider operators that are, are on Airbnb and trying to try are trying to do their best to create a great experience because they are using it as some sort of, of supplementation for their income or a business model for themselves. I don't know if there's a really good mechanism to create success stories or five star ratings and pumping it to your city council on a regular basis so they can see, hey, not only are we bringing in the income taxes from the TOT tax, but also we're getting great reviews on our city. And it is a correlation between really great short-term rental operators doing a great job and there's exceptions to that rule. There's no accountability if, if and they can't enforce it because they don't technically exist on paper, only on Airbnb. And those lines really aren't going to cross. But this is the idea of always document. So as a short-term rental operator, I mean, there's a whole probably episode on best practice documentation and responses to either negative or positive totally. posts and reviews and how to reintegrate feedback into your management process. Because if you, if you, can't, if you don't have ears to hear and you're just plugging your ears and you're saying, you know, and no, this is what I'm going to do. This is how much it costs. Take it or leave it. You're going to turn into one of those rogue uh, operator threats that give the rest of the community a bad name. And for better or for worse, if you're going to be a short-term renter operator, you're joining a community of business owners, right? Yeah. You know, and, and like you said, like, um, you want to hear the good, you want to hear the bad. I yeah. mean, I can't tell you, I mean, if I came and just read you some of our reviews, like, yeah, oftentimes it's about our properties, but oftentimes it's just about our city Yeah, and the amazing things that we have to offer. Yeah, and they're yeah. saying, Hey, go check out this and go check out this place. Yeah. This was awesome. Yeah. You know, and we're, we give all these um, recommendations on restaurants to go to, hikes to do, um, you know, coffee shops, yeah. and bars and, you know, attractions mm-hmm. to go hit up depending on whether you're a family with children or adults, you know. And, and so it's, it's – and we've had – I mean, I think I've had two, two people who came and stayed with us 